Well, good morning. And I will also say happy or blessed fourth Sunday of Advent to you guys. It is really exciting to me to see all four of these outside candles lit up here. We, uh, at, our, at our house, we also have an Advent wreath, and that's been a meaningful tradition for us for many years now. And so just getting to see the progression of light coming into the world through the weeks of Advent is a really, really special thing. So I'm glad to be here. And the fact that today is the fourth Sunday of Advent means that it's technically not Christmas yet, believe it or not. And while I love the fact that I can say that Advent is probably my favorite season of the year, there are some other people in my household who shall remain nameless who, are, who don't feel the same way. They are chomping at the bit for Christmas to get here, and I think I should be more specific to say that they're chomping at the bit for Christmas break to get here, And it's four days, in case you're counting, at least at our house. Now, to make that a little bit more bearable at our house, that long wait that it's been, we have, we really tried to decorate for Christmas this year. We didn't get to do quite as much last year as we had wanted to, but this year we, I wouldn't say we've gone all out. We're not like at Clark Griswold level. We're not pulling down the power grid when we turn on our lights or anything. We did get our Christmas tree out of our yard, but that's the closest that we've gotten to to Clark Griswold this year. Um, But it does feel very Christmassy inside our house with all the decorations that we've got going on. And actually, I brought a picture of one of them. Hopefully, it'll show up here. Yeah, this right here. This is, I I know so many of our kids are gone, but for the kids who are here, could you tell me what this is? Do you know what this is? Or any, any kids? Do you know what it's called? A nativity scene or a nativity set? Yeah. You're just, I thank you for being so polite and generous to me. I really appreciate that. So this is one of our, one of our nativity sets. I believe this was handed down to us from grandparents. I don't think Amy is in here to confirm or deny that, so we'll just go with it. Um, We do have a couple of others, but this is a, this is a pretty special one to us because I think it was handed down to us. You might have a nativity scene at your house as well, maybe several of them. Maybe some of them feel like toys. Maybe some of them are a little, you know, nicer like this, porcelain or whatever. Um, And maybe they help you anticipate the coming of Christmas as well and endure the wait until it finally arrives. Well, I've noticed that these days it's not uncommon to find other kinds of nativity sets out there as well, like with different things in those sets. And I brought some, some other pictures of things to, to show you what kinds of nativity sets are out there. First of all, some nativity scenes can sometimes have intruders in them, characters that were not initially meant to be there. Um, for example, oh, go ahead, go to the next picture here. I'm relatively sure, I'll have to check this, but I don't recall any cats being in the nativity story, especially grumpy cats. That one has got zero Christmas spirit. Um, uh, I've got a second picture here. Uh, some people can get really creative on a low budget. Um, and we've got one picture here of Latin culture coming together with Coca-Cola. And honestly, it's really accurate. They've done a fantastic job with that. I am a big fan. Um, sometimes people can kind of confuse their holidays. Maybe they're sort of new to the Christmas thing or the Christian thing or something like that. So we've got a, there's another one here. I really do not know what's going on. I, 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 just, I don't even have a comment to make. That's, so that, that happened. Um, 
And then lastly, sometimes people will find echoes of the Christmas story in pop culture. I've got one final slide to go with that. Now, I don't think you can improve on the Bible story, but man, can you get close. <laughs> now, the further and further those nativity sets get from reality, I think the less helpful they are to you in actually anticipating Christmas, the less helpful they are in helping us to actually endure the weight till Christmas and the weight that we might experience on the rest of life. I realize that this is a little bit silly, but there's a bigger point that I'm making here. The less our pictures and ideas about God correspond to the reality of who God is, the less helpful those pictures and ideas are going to be to us in actually navigating life. And navigating life includes a lot of waiting. Advent is a particular season of the year when we are confronted with waiting. We remember the, Israel's long waiting for their Messiah to come. We're moving toward Christmas when we celebrate the fulfillment of that promise, but then we're just confronted with more waiting. Most of all, we're looking ahead with longing and waiting for the second coming of that Messiah, when Jesus comes at the end of time to set everything right and to bring the new heavens and the new earth. And for the time being, we live in between those two times, and that is a time that is full of waiting everywhere we go. And like I just said, the less our knowledge of God corresponds to the reality of who God is, the harder that waiting is going to be. And so that's why we've done what we've done during Advent here this year at SOMA. Rather than focusing on you know, traditional Advent passages, we have turned our attention to knowing this God who comes to us. That's what Advent's all about. And he is a God who is three in one triune, a trinity, one God in three persons. Our goal moving through this series about delighting in the trinity is not simply to fill up our heads with knowledge and theology and get Bible verses right. Our aim is to know this God, to know him as Father, to know him as Son, to know him as Holy Spirit. And not just to know, but to delight to delight in our creator who has always existed in a delighted relationship, a delighted community among those three persons of the Trinity. And so today, a little out of order, we are turning in our last message in the series to the second person of that Trinity, God the Son. And let me say up front that the task of preaching one sermon on the idea of knowing the Son of God is just a little bit daunting to me. But since we are a week out from Christmas, it seems like we have kind of a natural entry point through the Christmas story to talk about what it means to know the second person of the Trinity, to know the Son of God. And so that's where we're going to start. That's what we've heard. Believe it or not, though you, may, you might not have recognized it when you heard it, we actually listened to the Christmas story a minute ago as Brandon read it. It might not have sounded like it to you, but that was, in fact, the Christmas story. Now, I know what we're used to hearing about the Christmas story, and here is a Venn diagram to give you a little bit of a picture of what the Christmas story actually is about. So it, it's, this is looking at how the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, which are the two 
main gospels that we think of for telling the Christmas story, how they overlap along with kind of your standard nativity play that happens in a church sometimes. So you can see all the familiar elements up there of what you expect to be in the Christmas story. Some of them are only in Matthew. Others of them are only in Luke. Some of them are shared by both of them. And then, of course, you've got the donkeys that just come out of nowhere into the standard nativity plays. And when you read the Bible, they're not actually in there, but they're in the plays. Now, you didn't hear any of that a minute ago, right, when we read John chapter 1. How was that the Christmas story? Well, we can actually expand this Venn diagram just a little bit to include the Gospel of John in the picture. And when we do that, we see that John chapter 1 is indeed the story of Jesus coming into the world. Only this time it is in a far grander fashion with far grander terms woven together almost poetically. This is the story of the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, here called the Word, through whom all of creation came into being, whose light shines into the darkness. It's a story of him becoming human, dwelling among us, and making God known. If that is not a summary of the Christmas story, I don't know what is. I feel like I've jumped around a little bit here this morning with all the pictures I've shown you, but what I'm trying to do is to connect some dots as we get into this passage here. We are talking about not just knowing God, but delighting in God, delighting in the Trinity. And then there's a progression there, moving from just knowing about him to delighting in him, the movement from knowledge to delight. It begins very impersonally, very heady, but it grows to become deeply personal, involving not just our head, but our heart and our whole being. And I think that this journey from knowing to delighting in God, specifically to delighting in God the Son, is mirrored here in the passage that we heard read for us a minute ago. That journey from knowledge to delight is one that we all have to go on. Because as the season of Advent reminds us, life is filled with, with a lot of waiting. And a lot of that waiting is in the dark. We need to move from simply knowing about God to delighting in God so that the fullness of his life and light can shine in our darkness. So if we're going to bear the weight well, we need to be able to journey from knowing to delighting in God the Son. And what we're going to do today is kind of zoom out and take a look at that journey sort of quickly in four movements guided by John chapter 1. So at some point in most people's spiritual journeys, however you want to conceive of a spiritual journey, there is a place where we could say that we know of God. Even specifically say that we know of God the Son. We know of the second person in the Trinity. Now, knowing of someone is clearly not the same thing as knowing someone. This is a kind of knowledge that's still mostly ignorance. When you say you know of somebody, you know that you don't know something. You probably don't know a lot of things. So it's more when you speak of God in this way, it's more like Jesus, I've heard of him. You might even be able to say that you've heard of the Trinity. You know of that idea. But for millions of people around the world, this journey doesn't start even there. Often it's simply just the idea of a God that we know of in the most general sense. 
Yes, I've, I've heard of a God, but it seems like only hearsay. It seems like rumors. I hear other people talk about God, but this is not something that's ever been a part of my life in any way. It doesn't make sense to me, or I don't really understand anything about him or it or whatever God is, but I'm intrigued. Maybe you can see a, a place like that or remember a place like that in your own life. I certainly can. This was, for me, most of my childhood, actually. I grew up in what you might call an irreligious household. Spiritual things were just not a category for us. Church, God, the Bible, it was just not discussed or talked about. But through extended family members who were Christians, grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins, I started catching wind here and there of what I would call rumors of a greater love. I had a few Christian vocab words that kind of came to me through those relationships. I knew the name Jesus. I heard the word resurrection connected to him in some way, but I kid you not, that's about as far as my Christian vocabulary went. And then I started to accrue some Christian imagery as well. I know I saw Christmas pageants somewhere along the line. I'm sure they had a donkey in them. I remember this thing, and maybe those of you of a certain generation will remember this too, this thing called a living Christmas tree in a church. Raise your hand if you've ever, okay, there's one, couple. Yeah, the living Christmas tree. Peace be upon you for not more hands being up. The living Christmas tree was, this was in my grandparents' church. It was basically a multi-level choir riser loft thing that you packed the choir into, and then they sang Christmas carols, and it was all decorated in greens and lights and everything. Yeah, it, it happened. I think most deeply lodged in me in, in terms of imagery, though, was this image that I can still remember of a cross that had been made with Christmas lights in, in three dimensions, and it was attached way up high to a radio tower, not far from where one of my sets of grandparents lived. And when we would drive to their house for Christmas, I would see this through the car window at night and I remember being transfixed by it. We never talked about it. I just saw that it was there, and it's an image that's still burned into my memory. It was a part of creating an echo somewhere deep inside of me, one of those rumors of a greater love. And then not only did I have a couple vocab words and some imagery, I started to get some snippets of a Christian message. My cousins would send me homemade bookmarks shaped like animals with messages on them like, Cat, you see, God loves you. I love my cousins. Two of my earliest childhood friends, Aaron and Eric, they later in high school, they invited me to their church youth group, which was a whole new experience for me, where I probably heard something about Jesus. I don't remember anything about the message. All I do remember was that we sang a song called My God, which had been set to the tune of My Girl by The Temptations. Through all of this, I had just begun to know of God. But beneath all of it, even the cheesy songs, something began to stir in me. By the time I got to college, there, was, there were even enough breadcrumbs kind of sprinkled along the way that I was curious enough to start walking down that path. And obviously, there's a lot more to that story. I don't have time to tell it. But that is what part of my story looked like when I came to know of God. Now, some of you might be there today. And if so, I want you to know that that's a good place to be. 
not having all the answers and everything put together. Now, others of you here are further down that road and knowing Jesus in some way. But hopefully, if you are further down that road, you can still recall this earlier stage of just knowing of God in some way. Hold on to that memory. Echoes of this early knowing of God can sustain you, can sustain your sense of wonder down the road. Now, John chapter 1 that we read gives us a hint that we ought to expect something like this. In verse 4, he says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. All mankind. So every human being, regardless of their present connection to God, is made, is capable of knowing him. Light is something that allows us to see. And Jesus is the one who shines it into our lives even when we are not looking for him so that we can begin to see. We can begin to take note. We can begin to know of this God. I think it's helpful to return to this Advent theme of waiting in each of the movements that we're going to look at here through the spiritual journey. When we're in this stage of just knowing of God or even specifically knowing of Jesus, there, there might be several things that we're waiting for with an Advent spirituality, but we don't even know that we're waiting. We, we wouldn't articulate it that way. We might be waiting to be convinced. Maybe these rumors of a greater love that are starting to stir up inside us, they just seem a little too good to be true. And so we're, we're holding out for more convincing evidence. Or we might be waiting to be gripped in some way. Often I think we're unaware of it when that sort of desire, that kind of waiting and expectation is underneath, underneath the surface for us. But every person is waiting, longing to be captivated by something true, something good, something beautiful. We want to be gripped by something greater than ourselves, something that gives us meaning, something that fills our lives with purpose. And when we feel that ache, we will often reach out for the closest or the best-looking thing that we can find, an answer that seems convincing at the moment, or a relationship, or a vocation, or a cause that seems compelling to us in some way. But the invitation to us at this stage of the journey is not to stop short just when we're beginning to know of God the Son. The invitation here is to press in to ask questions, to learn more of who this Jesus actually is. And a specific invitation that I would hold out to you if you are in that place today, or really to any of us who need to refresh and revisit this in our lives, is just to read a gospel. Maybe it's the Gospel of John, since we started with that today. If that's something that's stirring inside you, just kind of a heads up, we're actually going to be going through the whole Gospel of Matthew starting next year in January. Don't just rely on hearsay or on rumors or on preconceived notions that you have about who God is. Press in and find out for yourself who this mysterious and compelling word is. Well, gradually, if we can turn, continue on this journey, we're going to come to a place where we could say we don't just know of God, but we actually are starting to know about God. We've graduated from just rumors and hearsay to some actual information. And in this place, we say, I know some facts about Jesus, maybe even some important ones. I, I know the stories 
I'm even starting to pick up a little bit of theology along the way here. I'm even becoming aware that Jesus makes some pretty strong claims, not only about who he is, but also about what I'm supposed to do with that reality, if that is in fact reality, what I'm supposed to do in response. Jesus has become a figure with some shape and some substance in our imagination here. He has a character that we're coming to recognize. But here's the thing. At this point in our spiritual journeys, all that stuff is still primarily just information to us. Even if it's knowledge that stirs my heart in some way, the excitement that I might be feeling there is over knowing about something. It's not excitement over personally knowing someone. In the year before our family moved here uh, to Indianapolis from Champaign, Illinois, I became friends with uh, an international student at the University of Illinois where I was on staff at a church that was right there on the U of I campus. His name was Hadi, and he was from Iran. He had grown up in a, I would say, a somewhat observant Muslim family back in Iran. But as Hadi grew older, he also grew disillusioned with the Islam that he, as he'd been taught it and as he had seen it lived out in his family and in the culture around him. At times, it even called into question for him the entire existence of God. But after moving to the United States and starting a PhD program at Illinois, new questions started opening up for him. Now, Jesus actually appears in Islamic teaching as well, though as a very different person from the one presented to us in the Bible. And so Hadi already knew of Jesus in that sense. But when he met a pretty girl who also happened to be a Christian, he started looking a little bit more closely. I met Hadi about six months into that period of questioning. And over the next six months after that, we met for coffee and conversations about who Jesus is and what the gospel is, and specifically for Hadi, how you could be a Christian and a scientist at the same time. And he had all sorts of questions. Now, I, I, wouldn't, I will make no claim to be eloquent in those conversations. I didn't answer a lot of his questions. I probably sounded pretty dumb a lot of the time. But Hadi was ravenous to know about this Jesus to know about God the Son. Now, Hadi moved out to the West Coast about the same time that our family moved here to Indy last year. But I've stayed in touch with him uh, just a little bit and with that pretty girl as well. They're getting closer and closer. And I've learned that Hadi has started following Jesus. John chapter 1 makes room for this movement in our spiritual journeys as well. He starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is unique in applying that name to Jesus, and it is so full of meaning. If there is some Greek cultural background behind that, calling Jesus the Word of God, it's probably referring to some philosophical ideas that were out there in the culture that, about this rational thought that gave order to the entire world. And that certainly fits in with the idea of a quest for finding info and understanding about who God really is. But some better background for understanding Jesus as the Word, who was with God and who was God, might actually come from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, maybe you know this, God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that, that exists simply by speaking words. 
And John certainly calls Genesis 1 to mind when he begins his whole book by saying, in the beginning, the same way that Genesis begins. A little bit later in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 8, God's wisdom takes on kind of this personified nature. Wisdom almost becomes a character in the book of Proverbs and is the one whom the Lord possessed at the beginning of his work. Wisdom was the one who was there when creation happened and was even the one through whom God did his creating work. All of that gets loaded into this idea of Jesus being the word. But for our purposes today, I think something much simpler will suffice. I think it's enough just to recognize that when we talk about words, words are things that deliver a message. Words are content. Words bring knowledge. God wanted to communicate something to the world, something about himself, something that we could know. God cares about this stage of our spiritual journeys because he wants us to know about him. He wants us to be filled up with truth about who he is. God cared about Hadi. He wanted Hadi to know about him. But John doesn't let the journey just settle there. In verse 10, he writes, Though the world was made through him, this word that created all things, the world did not know him. This word who was communicating truth about God, the world was not knowing him. And then in verse 11, he, he kind of makes this distinction that there were some who received him, those who believed in his name, and then those who did not. Even if many people know about God the Son, the world at large does not know him. Only those who receive him do. Now, I'm sure that raises a whole host of questions, and I am not going to answer them right now. But here's what we need to see. Again, Advent is a time where we are invited to wait, to lean into all the waiting that there is in our lives. In this knowing about stage of our spiritual journeys, often we are just waiting to know more. And that's a good and right place to be. We need to learn facts. We need to understand the message of the Bible. We need to comprehend the larger story of which the Son of God is a part. Not just a part. The Son of God is the central player. But that's also a waiting to know more that can get a little overripe if we're not careful. We can become so consumed with taking in facts and just getting knowledge that we ignore the larger claims that that message is making on our lives. And on top of that, sometimes we're waiting not just to know more and get more knowledge. Sometimes we're waiting to be proven right. We can become more committed to our ideas about God or as being seen as being correct by other people or just winning arguments that we completely neglect the idea or make the idea subservient of knowing God to those things instead. It doesn't have to be this way, but there's a real danger in knowledge becoming divorced from love and relationship, in not, in not moving beyond knowing about God. Now, just like with the previous legs of the spiritual journey, there is this invitation to take steps to, towards what's next. And here, I think that invitation is to open ourselves. It's to open ourselves up to relationship and to personal knowledge not just book knowledge, not just understanding what the words mean. We keep learning, as we were doing before, but we move beyond just mere facts, 
just learning theology, beyond just having information, and we put ourselves into a posture, probably again and again, because it's so easy to get out of, a posture that's open to encountering a person. And that person is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And we put ourselves in a posture that's open to being transformed by that encounter. Accepting an invitation like that is inherently risky because we're risking in a relationship. It's a relationship in everything that comes with knowing another person. But on the other side of that risk, we will be able to respond like Job did to God. In Job chapter 42, he said, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now, when we accept that invitation to press ahead into a personal knowing of God, there's a, there's a line that we cross. And it might be an imperceptible line to us. We might not be able to actually draw it and say, there's where it is or here's where it happened. Or for others of us, it might come crashing into our aware, awareness. And it's impossible to ignore. But at some point, we move away from simply knowing about God to knowing God himself, knowing the second person of the Trinity. We come to a place where we say, this Jesus is a person, and I know him. More importantly, he knows me. He is the most important person in my life, and I am following him as my Savior, as my Lord, as my King. When we are able to say that, that's when we have crossed a line, a line of faith. Jesus isn't just the Lord, something that we can assent to intellectually. Jesus has become my Lord. It's not theoretical knowledge anymore. It's not intellectual understanding. This is personal knowledge and personal relationship, one that even grows into love that expresses itself through obedience. John 1 has plenty to say about this stage of our journey, too. In some ways, I think the same words and ideas that we've already looked at just strengthen and mature into this personal relational knowledge. Again, we come back to this theme of light that's so strong in verses 4 through 9. Light that not only gives intellectual understanding, but light in the sense of giving newborn clarity for us to see spiritually, for us to have faith. And that's a theme that John is going to come back to again and again throughout his gospel. What might be the high point of this whole passage fits right in here too in verse 14. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If you've been in church for a while, if you've attended churches before, you have almost certainly heard a famous paraphrase of that verse. The word took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This is one of the most significant statements in all of Scripture, not just because it's a direct statement about the incarnation of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, but because it tells us that God has finally taken up residence among humanity. He has come to dwell with his people. And on the surface, that might just sound like more theological talk or just an idea or a concept, it's important, but it's just more stuff to know about the Christian faith. It could sound that way, but from the vantage point 
of a person who has stepped across that line of faith. It is now seeing with eyes that have been enlightened, who's seeing with faith now. This makes all the difference in the world. God is with us. He is in the midst of our darkness. He is in all of our pain. The creator of the universe has drawn near to us. The Advent waiting at this point, I think, is it's kind of twofold. First, there's the liturgical waiting that we go through at Advent, waiting for Jesus to return. It's not just liturgical, it, that's real life as well. But what Advent reminds us of is that we are waiting for a king to come back, to return and to set everything right again, usher in a new heavens and a new earth. But the second kind of waiting is a longing that we experience day by day by day to have more of Jesus in our lives. He himself, and not just what he can do for us or give to us, he is more and more the desire of our hearts. That actually moves very smoothly, fluidly, into what I think could be called the fourth stage of this spiritual journey. Now, spiritual writers who are older, far wiser than I, they have written volumes, literally over centuries, trying to understand the different seasons of the spiritual journey. I will not try to improve upon them, and I don't even have time to summarize them right now. We have preached and taught on stages of spiritual life here at Selma before, and I know that we're going to do it again. But if there is an overall movement in our personal knowledge of God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not simply a movement toward more and more knowledge, even just to say that that I know God. It's a movement toward delight. Over time, even knowing God matures and blossoms into delighting in God. Here is the person who can say, nothing gives me more joy than simply being with Jesus. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Everything I do flows out of delight because I know that he is delighted in me. I get to experience the delight that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have always had for one another, among one another, from eternity past. And I get to experience that simply by being connected to Jesus, as John would say, by receiving those who received him, those who believed in his name. That is the promise that's held out to us in verse 18 of this passage here. No one has ever seen God, But the unique and beloved one, that's another way of translating that right there, the unique and beloved one who is God himself, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, he has made God known. All of the love that has been shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit from before the beginning of time has been given to us, has been downloaded into our hearts And day by day is opening our eyes, is shining more light into us and onto us so that we get to experience the delight that God has among the members of the Trinity and for us. There could not be anything more delightful than that. Of course, delight like that is hard won. We don't come by it easy. I know I just said that it's downloaded into us we know that it's not that simple. 
Life does not make it easy to live and to stay in a place of delighting in God all the time. Our Advent waiting continues, and that's why we come back to this season year after year after year to be reminded that the darkness is still there. The light of God shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, but the darkness is still real. There is a day coming when the darkness itself will be vanquished and put away forever. And the light that comes from the life of the word of God will be the only thing that we have. Now, there are invitations at this stage as well, and they're really similar to what the, state, what the invitations were in the previous stage of our spiritual life, maybe just a little bit deepened in some way. And here's how I would put them. For those of us who are continually learning what it means to delight in God, and we just want to keep walking further and further into that, the first invitation is simply to be with Jesus in the waiting. There's no way around the fact that he is the one that we are created to be with. The one whom Jesus came We are the ones whom Jesus came to earth to bring back into the very presence of God. A second invitation, to rest in Jesus in the midst of that waiting. A third, to cry out to Jesus in the midst of that waiting. I don't have the words in front of me. One of my favorite new Advent and Christmas songs is one that I know many of us know, Even So Come. It's a song that helps us to cry out for the God who has come once and who we know is coming again. But in the meantime, we wait and we long. But in the waiting and the longing, we learn to delight. The heart that delights in the Son of God is the heart that can bear the wait until he comes again. Let me pray for us. Lord God, words really fail to do justice to the life that you have held out to us, the life that you have given to us, to the reality that God is with us. Lord, as we've walked through this Advent season and still have a few days to go, we recognize that you have never left us alone, but the darkness is still real. Lord, shine your light into the darkness. Open our eyes to behold the beauty and the goodness, all of who you are. Fill our hearts with the delight that you had before the foundation of the world. Jesus, Son of God, it's in your name that we pray and we ask, even so come, Lord. Amen.